good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. All right, had a bit of a life experience on Saturday. My firstborn, my daughter, graduated from high school on Saturday. And a lot has been said about how catered to the kids of this generation are. You always hear them called snowflakes and how narcissistic everybody is. And they've grown up in the self-esteem movement. And it's all about me. I've got some thoughts from the graduation ceremony on Saturday. And the first is the keynote speaker, the superintendent of the, of the school board in the Crestwood School District. During his speech, he mentioned several times how special the class of 2021 is. Now, certainly it's a celebration of the accomplishment. You know, you're there to throw a little praise their way. But he kept saying how special this particular class was, not each graduating class, a the class of 2021, according to him, was just head and shoulders above everybody that's at that high school, everybody that's ever graduated. One of the stories that he told was he was speaking to a math teacher that told him how excited he was to get to teach the students of the class of 2021. Now, again, I understand it's a celebration of that class. I expect there to be some praise. I think he was hitting that a little bit too hard. I just, I have a hard time believing that seven years ago, the class of 2021 was the talk of the teacher's lounge. And maybe I'm just cynical, but I just can't imagine that in 2015, all the teachers were sitting around looking at the students in the high school saying, you know, these kids are okay, but man, have you seen that group of 12th graders coming up? I can't wait to get their butts in the seats and see what... What can happen? And I don't mean to take anything away from the graduating class. They have accomplished a, a big step in their life. But it's not a step that a lot of other people haven't accomplished as well. I feel like there are people in that class that are just like the people in my class. You know, you had extremely good students. You had some students that barely scraped by because of their intelligence. You had some people that just barely scraped by because of their motivation you had good athletes, bad athletes, and everything in between. I guarantee you that one of the children sitting in that auditorium on Saturday, five years from now, will be in prison for something. Just like my class, just like every other class that's graduated back to the founding of this country. I'm sure a lot of people are going to hear me say that and say, man, what a bitter, angry old crotchety bastard that guy is. But I just really don't think that it's good in the long run. Tell children that everything they do is just magically wonderful and it's so much better than anything anybody's done. That's going to make it to where they're not going to try to do anything. They're going to believe that whatever they do is just going to miraculously be the best thing ever. And what you're going to get is a lot of people that don't know how to work toward a goal. They're not going to understand even that they need to work for a goal. They're going to believe that if they say, I'm going to do this, then it just absolutely poof, it happens. And, and that's all the effort they need to put into it. The self-esteem movement is going to bear bitter fruit. It already has. You know, we're starting to see a lot of these self-esteem kids enter the workforce. And the things that they expect out of a job are pretty shocking by my standards and probably anybody a little bit older than me. But I'm not going to get into that today. The stories are all over the place. We all hear them. 
But I was just, this really kind of brought home the fact that the kids today are getting treated different. Well, I can't believe I said kids today, but they are treated differently than generations prior to them. And it's not a good thing. I know it, it probably feels better to them to be treated that way. And it's certainly easier on the adults that are dealing with them to treat them that way. But we have sayings along the lines of steel sharpens steel or the hardest iron is forged in the hottest fires. These are truisms that are around for a reason. And when you treat children softly, they're going to be soft adults. And I really, I didn't mean to get into this tangent, but it's just some of the things I was thinking about while I was sitting there listening to this gentleman give his speech. Uh, Something else I kept noticing, and this wasn't a lot of kids that did this, but this was not something that was done when I graduated high school. There was probably out of about 240 kids in that graduating class, there was probably about 50 of them that had decorated their mortar boards. And the ones that did it, they didn't call it in. They had really went over the top. Glitter and loud colors. One girl had covered her mortar board with silk flowers. She looked like a Macy's Day parade float. And believe me, there is a time and a place for individuality. A graduation ceremony is not that place. I have talked to how much I did not like colleges holding separate graduations for students that identify as being in a different group. This is not a time to celebrate your individuality. This is a time to celebrate a shared experience with a group. And can you really not spend two hours of your life, one Saturday out of your young life, and just be part of the group? I don't personally believe that children should be forced to wear uniforms to go to school, but this is a little bit of a different situation. This is a ceremony, and absolutely everyone should be wearing the identical uniform. Of course, we don't call it cap and gown uniform, but that's what it is. The children are supposed to look like representatives of the school at that point. We always talk about how divided this country is right now. This is where... A lot of this starts. Everybody is looking for some way to differentiate themselves from everybody else. Well, if you're different from everybody else, you're not a part of that group of everybody else. And this is one of those situations where celebrating something that you share, something that you're similar to everyone else, would go a long way in starting to heal that rift in the country. I don't mean to make my daughter's graduation sound like an all-important event in the cohesiveness of our society. But we get a bunch of little stuff like this going in the right direction. A lot of these problems will fix themselves. All right, that got a little heavier than what I was intending to. I've got one more thing about the graduation I want to throw out there uh, before we move on. The moving of the tassel. All right, I get that it's supposed to represent um, everything is officially completed and you're now a graduate. But how did that become a tradition? You only wear the mortarboard at the ceremony. So everybody there knows that when you walk into that building and take your seat, you have not officially graduated. And when you stand up and walk out, you have officially graduated. It's not like you wear the mortarboard for a week leading up to it and a week afterwards. And this is a way for people to differentiate between those that have graduated and those that haven't. Um, That is the very final thing that they always do. You move the tassel over, then everybody throws their hat in the air and they get in the car and go home. It just seems a little pointless to me. And I don't I don't understand how that became all that so symbolic. Well, 
The only people with their tassel dangling on the left side of their hat are the faculty that are there for the ceremony, and we're pretty sure that they've already graduated. So, you know, the the 40-year-old woman sitting on the Diaz versus the 18-year-old sitting in the stands, it's pretty simple to see who's the graduate and who isn't. And again, I don't mean to sound like angry old man, but that's just something that popped into my head during the ceremony or actually at the end of the ceremony. And I've been thinking about it ever since. So, But we can move on now. Have you guys been following the North Face and the hullabaloo that has come up from what they pulled? If you haven't been following this story, a oil and gas company named Innovex Downhole Solutions, they're out of Houston, Texas, put in an order for North Face jackets. They were going to have their company logo embroidered on the jacket and give them to their employees as a Christmas gift. And I have an excerpt from a story from WTVM. Uh, The North Face, a popular outdoor clothing brand, allegedly rejected the order as a stance against Innovex Industries. Adam Anderson, chief executive officer of Innovex, said, They told us we don't meet their brand standards. We were separately informed that what they really meant was that we were an oil and gas company. Now, North Face is countered by saying that the reason they refused the offer The order was because they did not believe they could fill the order in time. That sounds a little bit sketchy. First of all, what possible motivation could the company, the oil and gas company, have to come out and say that you told them no because they're an oil and gas company? And number two, North Face is a huge company. You can stock every department store and sporting goods store across the country with 500 coats and jackets and sweaters each, but you don't think you could come up with a thousand jackets for this company? I don't know how many employees Innovex Downhole Solutions has, but I'm sure it's not it's not like ExxonMobil that has 22,000 employees. I'm quite certain that North Face is saying that because they're getting a lot of pushback on this decision. Uh, but given their history of supporting environmental causes. I'm absolutely sure that this is exactly why they said this to this company, and they thought that would give them a little bit of clout among the ecologist community. But they were not expecting the pushback from the general public and from the oil and gas industry themselves. Uh, Several companies and some advocacy groups have really made hay out of This decision by the North Face, there's billboards up. I've seen Twitter posts and YouTube videos of people making fun of the North Face for taking this stance. And the reason the North Face is catching so much flack and the reason they absolutely deserve it is because almost everything that North Face sells, their apparel, is made out of synthetic fibers. Synthetic fibers are made from petroleum. And beyond the fact that everything you can buy in their store is thanks to the petrochemical industry, everything in that store arrived there on a truck that was running off diesel fuel. It arrived at the distribution warehouse in a truck that ran on diesel fuel. It came from the textile factory on a boat that ran on fuel oil. The electricity that ran the textile plant and runs the lights in the in the distribution warehouse and in their stores almost certainly comes from a coal-fired power plant. So the North Face has items in their stores and lighting in their stores, and pretty much their entire business is founded upon the oil and gas industry. But then they told Innovex Downhole Solutions to go pound sand. I'm not sure how and when 
oil got such a bad rep in this country, it's the propaganda from the ecologists has been extremely effective. A lot of it is the fact that they start yelling this stuff at kindergartners when they're nice and malleable and they'll believe what they what you tell them. And now a lot of those people have grown up and they've heard that their whole life and, and that's just what they believe. But most people just they don't realize how much they use petroleum products every single day of their life. Now, of course, everyone knows the basic stuff, gasoline, of course, diesel, uh, heating oil, kerosene, uh, the lighter gases like uh, propane and butane. But that is just the tip of the iceberg of what we actually produce out of a barrel of oil. Uh, by the way, I found this out while I was researching this. I'd always... I'd always wondered, because you always hear the price of a barrel of oil, but they never say how much a barrel is. A barrel of oil is 42 U.S. gallons. But here is a list of the things that are made from petroleum products. Now, this is a short list, and when I get done reading it, you're going to think, well, that wasn't very short. Trust me, this is just a fraction of the things that are made from petrochemicals. Uh, we get solvents, ink, floor wax, caulking. Food preservatives, uh, pill capsules. Now, not the medicine and the pills itself. In this particular instance, just the uh, the clear dissolvable capsule that they put the medicine into. Antihistamines, cortisone, putties, dyes, roofing materials, denture adhesive, linoleum, rubber cement, hand lotion, shampoo, antifreeze, enamel, crayons, anesthetics, movie film. Actually, the old twenty four millimeter that would be on the reel, um, and something that we really could not live without at this point, plastics. Plastics are made from petroleum. Now, I want you to just sit and look around how many things just within the reach of where you're sitting right now are made out of plastic. I counted before I started recording this. I could reach out and touch 15 products made out of plastic just from where I'm sitting right now. Well, actually, I just thought 16 because the carpet almost certainly is a synthetic fiber at this point. So that's from petrochemicals. Plastics have made our modern life possible. And there is probably very few moments of the day where you are not physically in contact with something made from plastics. Uh, everything from the fleece jacket you put on when it's a little bit chilly to the upholstery in your car. Plastics are in everything. And we always have this idea that plastic, anything made from plastic is cheap. Uh, something that surprised me quite a bit when I first learned it is that just as a raw material, a pound of plastic costs more than a pound of steel. The reason stuff made out of plastic is cheaper than something made out of metal is because it is so easy to produce something out of plastic. It does not cost anything to mold plastic into the shape you need it to be where it's extremely hard and extremely expensive to get a piece of steel into the shape that you need it to be. Plus, you've got the weight of shipping. Uh, but that really surprised me that plastic is actually a more expensive raw material to work with than steel or aluminum. But we could not live the lives that we live today without plastics, which right there is a reason to continue the oil and gas industry. Oh, and one other thing I want to hit on real quick. Oil does not come from dinosaurs. I don't know where that line started. And I never really understood why that was supposed to make a difference in using petroleum products or not. 
whether it came from a dinosaur or not, and whether I use the petroleum product or not, whether we pump the petroleum out of the ground, even if it was made from dinosaurs, that animal has been dead for 65 million years. Why does it matter to the dinosaur whether we use it or not? That We, we have such a weird way of looking at things with animals that, you know, you wouldn't think twice about killing every cockroach on the planet. Well, that's an animal. Uh, you know, if I said I was going to shoot one otter, a bunch of people would break down into tears, but I could walk around with a fly swatter just indiscriminately killing insects from now until the day I die, and I'd probably get more thank yous than questions. But oil did not come from dinosaurs. I mean, if you think about it, how would that have ever worked? The dinosaurs didn't go to one central place to die. You know, they died all over the planet at different times. How could that possibly have gotten into these giant reservoirs down in the ground? The oil reserves that we are using today actually came from animals in the ocean, plankton, single-celled organisms. Um, as those animals die and they settle to the bottom, you get a layer of that built up. And just over millions and millions of years, that layer gets thicker and thicker and thicker. And then because of erosion and plate tectonics, you know, oceans dry up, they get pushed out, they move around. That layer gets covered in sedimentary rock, which starts compressing it, building up heat. And it sort of, for lack of a better word, cooks it into oil over millions of years. But that is single-celled organisms, uh, same with the coal deposits in this country. All of that is plant material. The coal fields of the Virginias for millions of years in the Carboniferous period was a lowland swamp. And you just have generation after generation of plants dying, falling into the water. And once plant material is submerged underwater out of the oxygen, uh, you'll have some microbes and stuff that will eat a little bit of it under the water. But for the most part, once something is under the water uh, plant material, it does not decompose. Uh, I'm sure you're aware that there is a company in Michigan that has, has made a mint pulling logs up from the turn of the century that sank while they were being floated across the Great Lakes. You know, those logs have been at the bottom of the Great Lakes for 150 years. They're all in perfect condition. Uh, you'll see man-made lakes that, you know, they'll come in, they'll make a lake, and then something happens, they've got to repair the dam, or maybe they're just doing away with the lake entirely. But they'll drain the water out of it, and there's tree stumps. You know, that, that lake was built in 1920. They cut down all the trees where the lake was going to be, and then flooded the area. Well, you know, they come back 80, 95 years later, they drain the water out of the lake, and there's all these tree stumps there. They, they don't decay once they're submerged underwater. Uh, you could come back and drain one of those lakes in a thousand years, and those tree trucks will still be there. So in these lowland swamps in the Carboniferous period, you had plant matter piling up and piling up. And after you get a huge layer, like a peat bog almost kind of a situation, you, through erosion, you get sedimentary rock covering those up. And the reason that coal is solid and crude oil is liquid is because the, the plankton is animal material. The material that made up the coal fields, that was plant material, has a lot of cellulose in it. It Actually, it formed a solid because of the cellulose in the plants versus what turned into a liquid with the animal material, which became oil. But to try to get back on topic, I saved one product that we all have used from the petrochemical industry 
There's probably a tub in your house. There's probably been a tub in every single house you have ever lived in, stepped foot in, driven past, heard about. It is ubiquitous, and that is Vaseline. Now, Vaseline in 1859, there was a chemist named Robert Chesbra. I'm probably butchering that pronunciation. Uh, but Robert was a chemist. He worked with a company that refined whale oil. Now, of course, whale oil fell out of favor when we started using crude oil. And he went to the oil fields in Pennsylvania, which at the time was where most of the crude oil in America was being drilled. And he was trying to find out other products that this crude oil could be used for other than lamp oil and kerosene, because that is actually what drove the drilling industry prior to the turn of the century, it was not gasoline for cars. Nobody had a car. They were trying to find a replacement for whale oil in the lamps. Uh, they found out that kerosene could be used as a heating oil. It was an easy-to-get-to byproduct. But in the very early days of the oil and gas industry, they were going for lamp oil. All right, so this chemist goes to the oil fields in Pennsylvania, and he's looking to get samples so he can try to figure out some other products that they could turn this oil into. And one of the things he noticed was something called rod wax. Now, this was something that built up on the drilling equipment. Um, it would actually cause breakdowns on the drilling equipment if they let it build up too much. But the drillers wouldn't just clean it off and throw it away. They would keep it. They found that they could use it as a lubricant. And the Chemists actually noticed that a lot of the guys, if they got a cut on their hand or a burn, they, they would put this rod wax onto the, onto the injury. Uh, the workers all told him that if they put that on a cut, it will heal faster and it will heal cleaner than if they just left it alone and put a bandage over it. Cheesebra brought this back to the lab. He found a way to, it was black in its natural state. Uh, he found a way to distill it and get some of the impurities out of it, and that became... Petroleum jelly, which we all know is Vaseline, although Vaseline is a trademarked brand name, like Kleenex doesn't actually mean tissue, it's a company. But you have used that a thousand times. You put it on chapped skin, you put it on cuts, uh, we put it on babies for diaper rash. You know, we have this, half the country believes that oil is just this evil, unnatural, horrible substance, but you'll wipe it onto your baby's butt to keep them from getting diaper rash. There's just a logical disconnect there that I find very hard to understand. The eyeshadow Maybelline is actually just coal dust and Vaseline mixed together. The person that developed that was making it for his sister, who was named Mabel, and you combine Vaseline with, he was making it for a girl named Mabel, you come up with Maybelline. That sounds made up, but that's actually how the Maybelline Corporation got its name. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is that everything in our modern society is either made from or delivered by petroleum. There is no way we can get away from the oil and gas industry at this point. If we just outlawed it tomorrow, our society quite literally would collapse. Uh, a lot of people think, you know, well, I'll get an all-electric car and I can walk around with my nose up in the air because I'm not using that horrible, horrible crude oil. Yeah, you are. Uh, everything from your shoes to your underwear, the clothes you're wearing, the car you drove here, even if it doesn't use gasoline, you are using the petroleum chemical industry. I, I guarantee that everything you touch through the day has got something to do or 
or exists in the first place because of the petrochemical companies. And there's actually a few things out now that don't use petrochemicals that are sort of replacements for those products. Uh, they're usually not very good. Uh, I've got a really good example for you. Uh, a lot of cars now are using a insulation on the wiring that is not made from petroleum-based plastics. It uses a cellulose-based plastic. They're just using... They're making plastics from existing living plants instead of crude oil. You know, looks the same, insulates the same. There is a small problem. Uh, rodents like to chew on things, and rodents eat plants. And this new insulation is actually edible by rodents. And in my time at a Toyota dealership, I saw five cars that had been chewed so badly by rodents that the entire wiring harness in the car had to be replaced. There was absolutely no repairing it. And fortunately, most insurance policies will cover replacing that in the event of rodent damage. If you are unlucky enough to not have an insurance policy that covers that, it's going to cost you about $7,000 to replace the wiring harness in your car. Hey, but you can uh, sit at the Sierra Club meeting and tell everybody that you're not using petroleum-based wire insulation in your car. But the long and the short of what I wanted to say is that the North Face knows what their products are made of. They absolutely knew how dependent they are on the oil and gas industry so they can have products in their store. The reason that North Face can charge you $85 for a fleece vest that you can get from Columbia for $30 is because that the eco-nuts that buy stuff from North Face based on their image and reputation don't know that everything in their stores is made from petrochemicals. All right, guys, that's about all I've got for you today. Uh, once again, thank you for sitting with me. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, leave me a like and subscribe. And if you want to leave me a comment, you can do so at my Facebook page, at the Fresh Frozen Southerner page. Or you can send me an email at freshfrozensouthener at gmail.com. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your work week. I will be back with you on Friday. I hope you have a good one, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you very much.